Hi, I'm Louisa. I'm married to Bryn. Um, and uh, this is actually my first time preaching a full sermon in a church. Thanks. Um, so two weeks ago, Ben talked about the gift of life through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, Spirit breathes life into us. Last week, he spoke about how the first Christian community spent their time. There was a throwaway comment in Acts 2, verse 43, that says, everyone was filled with awe at the many signs and wonders performed by the apostles. So this week, I'm focusing on one of the signs and wonders performed by the apostles, miraculous healing. The Bible is clear that miraculous healing should be a normal part of our experience of church. And the first time I ever heard of a healing miracle was actually just before I went to university to do my teaching degree. I received an email from a guy that I'd heard giving a talk just quite randomly and I'd put my email address down on a form and uh, got his newsletters and he was um, a missionary out in Africa and, um, and I received his emails every month. So I received a, a different email, it wasn't a newsletter, and I just clicked on it, it was quite late at night, and he was asking everyone to pray for his cousin who had been in a car accident and she was in a critical condition. Reading the details of the accident, I felt very small uh, when I heard about the mess she was in, and actually I had very little belief that God could do anything. Um, his cousin at the hospital um, was actually at the point where the doctor had come out and said to him, if something doesn't change in the next 20 minutes, she will die. So he sent this email out saying, could you pray just for the next, the next half hour? Um, and I looked at the time and he had actually just sent it. So this was happening right now. He told us all to pray even if we didn't have faith. I can remember saying out loud, well, what good will praying do at this stage? It sounds like it's over. I tried to pray, but I ended up actually crying, and I asked God if miracles were possible. I knew nothing of the Holy Spirit at this, this stage in my life, but I did believe in God. The email actually made me feel very unsettled, quite sick, and to be honest, a little bit angry that it was very unlikely that God would do anything. Several, I'm from Northern Ireland, so several months later, actually, I, uh, my friend had arranged for me to help out on a, a youth camp over in England. So I came over here, and um, the very first night, one of the leaders was telling a story of a miraculous healing that had happened to a girl in their church. I suddenly realized it was the girl that I had received an email about. She had actually lived after about 100 people from their church had turned up outside the hospital. In the pouring rain, they had prayed face down on the pavement uh, for her to live. When the doctor came out and told them that she would die if something didn't change in the next 20 minutes, the church leader asked the doctor to go back in and call on the name of Jesus for her to live. The doctor said he didn't believe in God, but he was happy to do that for them. So he went into the theater, he put his hand on her, and he prayed just like he promised he would. He later came out and told them that there had been a miraculous turnaround. She was stable. After a few weeks in intensive care, she also experienced more miraculous healings in her body. And she became a friend of mine, actually, and we're still friends to this day. As I was listening to this testimony, I was changed forever because it was such 
a ridiculous coincidence that I would be helping out on a church camp in England with this girl's vicar as a guest speaker. I knew then that miracles were an expected part of the Christian faith, and I made sure from that day that I went to a church where people prayed for healing. So fast forwarding about 15 years, um, I'm actually part of the leadership team for the Healing Rooms in London. This is run by a bunch of people from various churches. And it's held every other Saturday in a hut in a church car park in South Kensington. So I've seen people touched by God every time I've been there to pray. But sometimes people get in touch with us a year or so after to actually tell us what healings have actually taken place in their bodies. So I'm just going to get, read you a couple of testimonies just to get us a bit excited about the topic of healing today. So one man came to be prayed uh, after a ski accident and he sent an email last year saying, a few years ago, I had a ski accident where I fell and took the brunt of the force to my face, head and neck. The external scratches and bruises healed within a week or so. However, I was left with migraines a few times a week, cluster headaches in between the migraines, muscles so tight I couldn't sleep properly or stand up. It got so bad, I got addicted to the painkillers. I had steroids injected into the base of my skull, which should have stopped the pain for three months but only lasted a week in my case. It got to the point where the doctors wanted to sedate me for six months to allow my brain to stabilize, just to give me some form of quality of life. 18 months after the accident, I reached the end of my strength and I lost all my hope. I cried out, Jesus, if you see me, heal me. With very little faith, I went to the healing rooms in South Kensington. That was a year ago today and I've been pain-free ever since. So, and another one, last year a woman got in touch with us to tell us of a miraculous healing that happened to her in her body a few months after she visited. She received prayer in summer 2012 and it was to overcome infertility. She writes, I decided to just give up after over six years of trying, countless treatments, three miscarriages. The grief had become too much for me to bear. After prayer, I felt encouraged to believe God for a miracle. The only problem was, the months following, it didn't seem like prayer had actually changed anything. All the best doctors in New York had told her to give up trying to conceive, that it wasn't going to happen for them. She writes, as you might know, fertility treatments are outstandingly expensive. It was a huge challenge for us. I was about to turn 40 in March 2013. We were very anxious about moving forward but God had a different plan. We conceived early 2013. My daughter was born in perfect health in October 2013. She's now five and has been abundantly more than I could ask or imagine. A true gift from God. I absolutely love hearing these stories. I need them for my life as well, but it also makes me hungry to see more. Thankfully, the churches that I've been part of in the last 10 years have actually prayed for people week in, week out during the services, and I've been able to be part of that. And I think it's worth realizing that a church that sees a lot of healing is only different to a church that sees no healing, just simply because that church prays for people to be healed, and they pray a lot. I think too often, we seem to settle for church experience without regular stories of people being healed and experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit. 
I like to think of this as trying to get a job done without any of the tools that we need to succeed. I personally think a church without healing is like being told to look after a beautiful garden and cut the grass without a lawnmower. I've actually had this experience. I'm living this experience right now. I am renting a house with a small but very beautiful garden, and the owner is lovely and very relaxed, told me, don't worry about making the grass look perfect. I just normally cut the grass with a pair of scissors. It takes time, but it keeps it under control. So I had the bizarre experience just last week, actually while I was writing this talk, so it appeared in the talk, but I had this experience of going out, I took a pair of scissors to the garden, and after 20 minutes, I was exhausted, and the grass did look like it had been cut with a pair of scissors. And I could not be bothered to continue, as it's maximum effort for very little return. So I'm feeling very frustrated. I want the garden to look amazing, but I don't have the tools I need, so I have to settle for just keeping it under control until the owner sells the house. There's nothing more horrific than being told to look after a garden and cut the grass without a lawnmower, actually. Cutting the grass without a lawnmower is actually a bit like a church without the miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit because you do end up exhausted doing life in your own strength and you do end up disappointed at the intense effort that you're putting into keeping things under control. And I think you also end up angry at God for not making life easier. Church, if it's functioning properly, should be rammed full of stories of God breaking through and changing lives. Not people keeping themselves under control, but people radiant because God did something that had been impossible for them. And these stories actually leave us fully equipped to live life with God. The whole point of church is to give people a taste of heaven and to equip us to live the life of the miraculous God that raised Jesus from the dead. The whole of the Christian life is supposed to be centered around the full reality of God's kingdom on earth. Revelation 21 is a prophetic picture of what it will look like when heaven is fully present on earth. Here, John is pointing to an end time reality. It's something as Christians we look forward to, but the only problem is we can start seeing it as a bit like the owner's gonna come back and just sell the house. We, we often have um, this idea in church that we're just supposed to bunker down until this happens just in one moment. And this is a misunderstanding of how the kingdom of God works. The point is the kingdom of God is starting to break out around us even right now. It was breaking out in worship. This process of heaven coming to earth has already begun. We are not supposed to starve until we experience Revelation 21. And we have the tools we need to bring more of heaven to earth. And Jesus talks about the kingdom of God being at hand. So this means we can reach out and touch it. It's here to be experienced now. So I quite like thinking about God's healing as God's love bottled and it's ready to share around everyone else. Healing turns your life into the most incredible garden that it's supposed to be and you have everything you need to transform it. You don't break your back keeping it under control but you're amazed at how life just keeps springing up under your feet. So how do we pray for healing? So let's look at an example of Peter healing before we do it. Acts 3, just to remind you of the verse. 
One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging. So what do we learn from healing from this passage? The first thing to notice is that sickness is bad. And it's something that God wants to change by healing it. This guy's sickness was particularly bad because he was paralyzed since birth. And he relied on people to carry him around. So his life was reduced to begging just to get by. He relied on people to support him so that he didn't have to starve to death. But we all know that sickness doesn't have to get even this bad for it to have a negative impact on our lives. Now, I'm saying that sickness is bad because it's important to notice when we read the Gospels, we actually never see Jesus leaving sickness alone. He never refuses to heal someone on the basis that they are being taught an important spiritual lesson through their sickness. You never see Jesus leaving sickness alone because some people deserve their sickness. And he never leaves sickness alone because some people are being punished by God through their sickness. So I think those are some of the key lies that we have learned over time about sickness, that actually Jesus wants us to lay down. Sickness is bad. It is no more or less than a symptom of the diseased human condition, commonly known as sin. Not your sin, not usually, but just the sinful context in which we live out our lives. And sickness is a manifestation of the brokenness that Jesus is dead set against. It's bad, it's evil, and it's not how it's supposed to be. So the second thing we notice from verse 3 is that God loves to exceed our expectations because the man only asks for money. He asks them for charity. He asks them for just a few coins. He didn't ask for healing. There's nothing wrong with him asking for support. It's better that he asks for support than starves to death. So we learn that God can and loves to exceed our expectations. God wanted to change this man's condition, and it doesn't matter that he didn't ask for it. I think often in life, we expect the bare minimum from God. We probably think we don't even deserve more, but God loves us so much, like a son or a daughter, um, the way we love our children, and we want the best for our children, and God wants to do even more than that. I feel I've had a personal experience of this. In 2002, I found myself rock bottom with depression. I'd had it for years. I'd had it throughout my whole teenage time. 
I'd struggled with it really, really privately, and I'd managed to get myself through my A-levels. I did extremely well at school. People thought I was really happy, but I was like I was wearing a mask. I found myself turning to God in prayer. I was desperate for freedom. I started meeting with a lady that my friend just recommended, so she was nice to pray with, and this had come up in conversation because I'd mentioned that I didn't really know how to pray. So I met up with this lady every week, and while I was praying with her, she told me just to take note of what I imagined as I was praying. Like, did I get any pictures? Did I get an image of something? And this really helped, because I said, yeah, I've actually just imagined a broken mirror on the grass. And I'd seen, what I'd seen was my life, like a, it was a picture of a, of a broken mirror. And Jesus was helping me find every broken piece, every shard of glass, and we were laying them out in the sun so that we didn't miss a fragment. He was piecing my life back together, but it would look different. It would look different when he had finished. His work in my life would be obvious, and I would reflect him. And I find these pictures incredibly healing, and they gave me hope that I would get free from how horrendous I was feeling. And as the months progressed, I was on this journey actually finding intimacy with God. I was getting to know Jesus and experiencing him, but I wasn't healed from manic depression. Suicidal feelings had gone, but I was still depressed. I was an anxious wreck. I was nervous all of the time. In the middle of this time, I'd actually joined St. Mary's in London, and I had so many amazing friends that really, really enjoyed praying for me, and I'd actually let them know that I was struggling with this depression and they were like there with me on the journey. And they talked to me about what was it that I wished I could be doing. I said, I have this daydream. I wish I was the type of person that could go to a university like Cambridge and train to be a teacher. And they challenged me to push the door and just see, just start taking risks. Because the biggest problem was I saw myself as a nervous wreck. I saw myself as fragile. I didn't want to go to university and train to be a teacher because I thought I'd muck it up. I figured, actually, if I pushed this door and it didn't work, it didn't matter. Problem was, the door opened. I was offered a place at Cambridge. I figured, if this is awful, I can't cope, I can always leave. I had to have a plan B. I didn't believe I'd be all right because I, I was so nervous. However, my friends drove me up to Cambridge, dropped me off, I went to bed pretty early that night, didn't actually bother unpacking, thinking, I'll just turn up and see what the course is about, but this really isn't for me. Interesting thing was, I woke up the next day, and actually, I was completely well. The feeling had gone. Now, this wasn't actually an overnight thing, if you think about it. It had been a good nine months. It had been a nine months on this journey, but the moment where it disappeared was just instant, and it... It, was, it happened as I stepped into an identity that wasn't, oh, I'm broken and I'm, and I'm fragile. The thing was, I actually loved that course and I did really well with the essays and I handled the workload and just that, that those days were gone, the depression had gone. I'd actually asked God to heal me of depression, but he had changed my life. I had an intimate relationship with him and he had given me my future. He exceeded my expectations. He wanted to do more. I was focused on, for months, did the prayer work? I knew I was getting somewhere, but it wasn't all gone. So I kept asking, have I got healed? Did the prayer work? But the question was actually, what is God doing? 
He loves us and he completely changed my life. I met my husband through teaching. It's often difficult to believe um, when we are not healed that God loves us and wants to exceed our expectations. So the focus when we pray for other people is when we're praying for healing, we should always be expressing God's love for that person. We pray for healing because we've seen amazing examples of God healing supernaturally. But what does happen every time is that people should feel really loved by us. So the third thing we notice, going back to our passage, is from verse four, is that God heals sickness through people who believe in the authority of Jesus. It is Peter and John who speak to the man and tells them, look at us. The man looked at them, expecting to receive something from them. And Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, walk. And seizing him by the hand, he raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were straightened. With a leap, he stood upright and began to walk. And he entered the temple with them. Peter and John knew they were commissioned by Jesus to heal people in his name. This means that we are commissioned by Jesus and God will heal people through us. Like Peter and John, we have Jesus and we can give this to other people. We should not settle for less than God wants to give us. We need to raise our expectations. It's scary to hope, especially when we, we've been disappointed, but we learn here that God wants to give much more than any of us could have imagined. And the fourth thing to focus on here is that the man was healed. God does heal sickness, and he heals sickness when we use the authority of Jesus. Notice that Peter says, in the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, walk. So the church does have the spiritual power to say, in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. Note that Peter also gave away what he had in his own life. And he was able to use the authority of Jesus because he'd witnessed the resurrection and received the spirit of Jesus into his life. So if we believe in the resurrection of Jesus, then we do have the authority from Jesus to release healing over someone's life. At this point, Peter had received the gift of faith described in 1 Corinthians 12. It says the supernatural ability to trust God in a particular situation. This is the gift of faith. Peter did this under the specific prompting of the Holy Spirit. And God gave Peter the supernatural ability to trust him for something completely out of the ordinary. Moving on in the passage, Peter addresses the crowd. They were amazed at the sight of this man who could now walk. Verse 11, why do you think we've done something great? Why look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness, we have made this man walk? So Peter very wisely took advantage of the gathering crowd, and yet he knew that the phenomenon of this miraculous healing in itself would actually bring no one to Jesus. It just got them all interested. Though they were greatly amazed, they actually weren't saved, and they needed to repent for crucifying Jesus. Peter knew what the crowd needed to hear, even more than the healed man's experience was the gospel of Jesus Christ, and a call to repent and believe. The healed man didn't know enough yet to share that, so it's Peter that does the talking. 
And it's very important that as Christians, we believe we too have been authorized to heal the sick and give people Jesus. We do have the same authority to heal the sick. Now, it's also worth noting here that there is a sense in which Jesus is the model for our attempts to heal and a sense in which he isn't because Jesus is like us in kind, but not in degree. The reason Jesus carries such spiritual authority is because he was perfectly obedient to the Father. He perfectly received and gave out the love of his Father, and he was filled with the Spirit beyond limit. And the reality is that we are not as perfect in being able to do those three things. Jesus is the same as us in kind in the sense that we are both human, and he shows us what is humanly possible, but he is different from us in the degree that he is more fully human than we will ever be because he is without sin whatsoever. Whereas we will always be a work in progress this side of eternity, Jesus was perfectly obedient, his identity was firmly established in his Father, and he is full of the Holy Spirit without measure. So sometimes people are healed and sometimes people are not healed. We are on a journey to grow in our spiritual authority. Back in 2008, I went to San Francisco. I was working for an anti-human trafficking campaign and I was told that I was to work with a woman called Norma Hotaling. She had been on Oprah Winfrey and had received an award for the Angel Award and she had the most tragic story. She had been trafficked when she was three years old into prostitution and she had uh, traveled to San Francisco when she was 11 to work as a prostitute. She was eventually arrested, I think quite a few times, and put in prison where she realized that she wasn't to blame for the path that her life was on. And she started a rehabilitation program for offenders as well as women leaving prostitution. Now, I was asked to interview her for a documentary, and as I was briefed, I was actually told that she had pancreatic cancer and didn't have long to live. I knew I was to pray for her, but I was also told, by the way, she doesn't like Christians, and she's really, really, really anti-God, and by the way, she's not that friendly, so don't worry about it. If it doesn't go well, it's not your fault. So I kind of had to just hope that you know, I'd make some sort of a nice kind of impression on her. But I couldn't shake the fact that I felt that this was the point of my trip. Because I'd been praying for a year to do this trip and I'd prayed about this woman that I was to meet. I couldn't shake it. I just thought, I'm gonna meet this one person. I knew I was gonna be working with prostitutes and I felt there was one in particular. And here she, this is it, here she was. So I spoke to her just to arrange the interview, briefed her on what we were doing, all went very nicely. I put the phone down, I felt so disappointed in myself. I just was so scared and I realized I just needed to get over this fear, so I did the unthinkable and I did phone her back. I did get her voicemail and I did leave a message. I told her that I was just really sorry to hear that she had cancer and I, I just did, I didn't want to offend and, uh, but I said I, I'm a Christian and I would just absolutely love to pray with you and uh, said a few things to let her know like if that's just not something you'd be interested in that's absolutely fine but I will see you for the interview on Friday. Um, she actually phoned me back crying her eyes out. At the beginning I thought I was in a lot of trouble because she wasn't speaking and then I realized that she was absolutely sobbing. She was in pieces. She said, that's amazing. 
it's amazing that you believe in healing. I would love that. I'd love to be prayed for. And I was like, okay, uh, shall we do that on Friday? You know? And she's like, no, no. So I prayed for her on the phone. She started burning hot. She felt just she was being touched by God. She said she didn't understand the heat. She was feeling really hot. And I said, well, I think that's the presence, of, well, that is the presence of God. Um, I'm feeling like a little mice, you know? I'm like a little mice on the end of the, on the, end of the phone. I'm so frightened. But like God's just doing stuff. And actually, I've come out of my shell and I'm able to just tell her, like, Jesus just loves you so much. So I get to meet her earlier than the interview. Like, she just wants to meet right away. And we just have the most incredible time, actually. Something that has never left me. She also came to church. And she also told me, by the way, I hate men. I hate men. I said, well, that, I do understand that. Like, <laughs> what can I say? I take her into church where the majority of people in the worship team were actually men. Even, even the worship team were men. Everybody, there was, everybody was a man. And, um, and she loved him. And she had prayer from everybody. She's got prayer from everybody, and she said for the first time, people were speaking to her about her as Norma and not a prostitute. She said, I've always just been spoken to as a prostitute. That's all I've ever been. It was so tragic, but such an incredible experience with her. So she came to Christ. She came to church. She felt so much love from everyone who prayed for her. And I realized if I hadn't got over my fear of what happens if the prayer doesn't work, what happens if nothing happens? What happens if nothing happens when I pray? Well, she might not have been given eternity with Jesus. She actually passed away just a few weeks later. There really wasn't a lot of time left. I didn't know that. I was shocked. I can't explain to you exactly why she didn't get healed. But I know that it's made me forevermore want to grow in my authority. It hasn't stopped me wanting to pray for people. So having said this, if we want to grow in our experience of spiritual authority, I think we have to pay attention to the unseen foundations we see in the life of Jesus. Are we being obedient to God? Are we pursuing intimacy with God so that we can receive and give out his unconditional love? Are we continually seeking to be filled with the Spirit? The more we do that, the greater authority over sickness we will have. So I'm not saying to be disappointed. I'm not disappointed in God that she didn't get healed. And actually, I'm not disappointed in myself. I'm, I'm actually just believing I just need to grow. I need to grow in my authority. So, sickness is bad. Jesus is willing to heal it. We have the authority to heal sickness too. And then the final thing to notice is, we have to notice in this passage that faith actually has sort of nothing to do with how we pray, the way we pray. Yes, we say in the name of Jesus, but actually when we pray for people to be healed, shouting a lot will probably not increase faith. Proclaiming that someone is healed before they are actually might put pressure on them and make them feel ashamed when they realize they aren't healed. It's all quite unnecessary. We don't have to drum anything up. We get to just be ourselves, and then you might feel a lot more confident. It was absolutely fine that I phoned Norma, frightened, because she trusted me, and she just drank it all in, and she received Jesus. We just have to keep focused that it's not us. It's what Jesus did on the cross. I had an amazing experience um, just after my daughter was born, um, there was actually a serious com complication five days after I gave birth to Chloe, and I nearly died. 
Um, I lost half my blood, and I was very aware that I was in a lot of trouble. I was taken into an operating theater, and I tried to pray, but I got muddled very easily. I was desperate for my five-day-old baby, and I couldn't think how to pray my way through this. I was quite aware that it, it wasn't one of those situations where I just needed an antibiotic. It was, I was facing it. It's like, this, is, this, this could be over. I was asking God, how do I pray? What sin do I confess? What is it that I do? And I was just so mixed up. And I think I had a lot of adrenaline as well. I was quite panicky. And finally, I just had this incredible thought that brought incredible peace. And I felt God say to me, just a perfect sentence just dropped into my head. And I felt he said, I died on the cross, so this moment does not depend on you. And I just focused on that. I focused on the cross and what God did so that I could live. It calmed me down. I wanted to live and be a mum to Chloe, and I didn't want my husband to go home that, that night alone. And I realized that God wanted that a lot more than I did, and that's all I needed to know. That's why he died on the cross. He died so that we could be healed. I spent three days in intensive care recovering from an operation to remove embedded placenta that had been completely hidden and had almost killed me. And I spent three days being told by everyone who came in to see me that it was just divine intervention. They said jokingly, they said, we don't know how you got out of this. You just got out of it. It just wasn't looking good, but you just got out of it. Now, before I hand over to Ben to actually explain how we're going to pray for each other, um, I'm actually just going to leave you with another story, but the quickest story of what it's like to ask for prayer, sort of maybe what it's like to be Norma Hotaling, uh, who has, you know, never had prayer before. And I think sometimes we forget about that, that actually when you come up for prayer, you don't quite know how it's going to work and you don't quite know what you're supposed to do. And the truth is nothing. So I was part of a ministry team. I lived in California for four years and I was um, part of the healing rooms actually at this church. And um, I was asked, I used to paint in the healing rooms during worship. And a lady called Kathy Andrews visited with her mother-in-law and she was extremely skeptical about how prayer would work and she kept herself off to the side. And I remember her because her mother-in-law came over and pointed her out. Um, and she was like, she's not familiar with any of this. She's really uncomfortable. Can you, can you help? She asked if she could come and chat with me because she actually was really, the only thing she was enjoying was watching me paint. I was tickled pink. I was like, please bring her over. You know, I've never heard this before. Bring her, bring her to me. Um, and I just explained to Kathy, listen, while I'm painting, I'm praying. And I'm just painting like what I think the Holy Spirit is guiding me to do. And she was all right with that. I was like, so it's a bit like that when you're being prayed for. I'm doing sort of an abstract representation of God's healing presence. I'm just having fun painting. I'm not really worried about what it looks like. And I explained to her that pursuing healing from God actually is a bit like that. It can feel that you're just going through this process and it can feel a little bit chaotic and a little bit painful. And we just need to imagine that it's just a bit like painting. You don't know what it's gonna look like till you're finished, but the process needs to not be overanalyzed. As an artist, as soon as I overanalyze what I'm doing, start thinking too hard, 
it just doesn't work. Analyzing kills creativity. So I told her just to focus on God and, and don't analyze what's happening. So I continued painting and she stayed right beside me. And she went along and she kept saying, you know what? I'm not focusing on my, on my pain levels. Now she had a lot wrong with her. I've almost, there's, there's a huge list. Um, she had a lot wrong, wrong with her, but she said, I'm just focusing on what you're painting. And I feel like I, the door, the, the shapes and the colors kind of made it look like a door. And she said, I'm imagining it's like a door into heaven. I was like, good one, go with it. Um, you know, sure, all right, do it. And so she just says, okay, I'm gonna imagine going through the door. So it was a bunch of us actually all, play, uh, all prayed for her. She actually received full healing from fibromyalgia which I can't say, by the way. <laughs> and I'm not going to say it again, but you know what it is. And she actually had cancerous skin cells um, that dissolved into baby soft skin. I don't know what kind of cancer it was, but we could see them, and they'd all gone. She had three, three lumps that I knew of and that they were completely dissolved. One was on her collarbone, and the other two in the corner of her eyes. It was baby soft skin. She was also lactose intolerant with food allergies, so she went out for a milkshake and ate all the food that she couldn't have and then came back to see us, and she was fine. So that's somebody who just had no idea what to do, was really uncomfortable, didn't know if she believed, and got so touched by God, she actually had her testimony, she had herself filmed. Uh, she filmed her testimony, and it's up on YouTube. And it's just a remarkable difference as somebody that wasn't expecting anything to happen. Um, so when it comes to healing, faith is like confidence in that we can increase the more we see God do. We just need to remember God's character. I'm just going to leave you with a verse from Isaiah 30. Therefore, the Lord waits expectantly and he longs to be gracious to you. And therefore, he waits on high to have compassion on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. He is ble blessed are all those who long for him, since he will never fail them. He will most certainly be gracious to you at the sound of your cry for help. When he hears it, he will answer you.